Pete Giuliano, it is Saturday, the 4th of March, 2017, and that makes this Solder Smoke 194. Solder Smoke 194. You know, we, yes. missed, we missed February entirely. We, we missed the entire antenna modification yeah. period. Yeah, February 16th just came and went. Came and went. <laughs> and it was it was springtime here, so I guess we don't feel too bad about missing all the festivities. Oh yeah. Pete, this is an exciting solder smoke. We got a lot of exciting developments oh, to discuss, yeah. and the first among them, we have to alert the brotherhood and the sisterhood to the Microbitex from Farhan. Yeah. Have you scrutinized this at all? I I I just Briefly looked at it. I looked at the box and how compact everything was. Just amazing. Really, really nice. Um, for those of you who don't know, Farhan has been, you know, whenever he goes silent a bit, whenever you don't start seeing a lot of emails and texts and stuff from him, you know that the wizard is at work. And he has been at work down there in Hyderabad, and he has come up with a new rig called... The micro bid X. When you first see it, he he uses the, uh, the 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 letter U for the micro, like as in microfarads. And it's just letter U bid X, micro bid X, pretty cool. And he's got uh, it, it's a multi-band dual conversion, and it's got uh, digital VFO with a really neat tuning scheme, sort of similar to what he has in the Raduino. Uh, but he, he's put out a video and I have it up on the Solder Smoke blog and it is really cool looking. He is getting ready to put out a detailed description and schematics up on HF SIGs. So those of you who are anxiously awaiting details so that you can build one of these things, just keep an eye on the HF SIGs blog and, or, or website and that's where you'll, you'll, you'll see the latest news. But it looks really cool. The video is really nice. It's up there. When you guys see it, you're going to like it. It's a lot like the BitX. But dual conversion, it's got, uh, of course, the bidirectional amplifiers in there. It's got one high, high IF and one low IF. I think it, it overcomes some of the problems that they had with the um, some of the other multi-band rigs that, that they were working on. But, but it, it looks really, really neat, and that, I, think, I think it's going to be a big hit. It's an up conversion. One of the filters is 45 megahertz, That's right? That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so that eliminates a lot of the birdies in the handbands, right? With, with the up conversion scheme, yeah, right, yeah. Because they had, you know, with the minima, they had the the IF was like a twenty megahertz or twenty one megahertz, and it, you know, put it right in the middle of the fifteen meter band, and and there was some problems with that. And anyway, but wow, progress continues, and and I think this is going to be a really really cool rig from from Farhan. So I I don't know if it's it. I don't think there are any plans to put it out as a kit. So. I think that's what the write-up said. It says they're too busy building BitX40 kits. That's they're right, overwhelmed. Right. They're overwhelmed. <laughs> that's it. And you know, we have to. He, ha- he has to leave us something to build. I mean, if he yeah, puts everything yeah. out on the board, you know, nobody's going to be melting solder anymore. But um, I think this is going to be a really interesting design, and uh, I know people are already kind of you know chomping at the bit to to get going on it. So three cheers for Farhan, yeah. and uh, another another great contribution to the radio arts. Before we pass that by too quickly, in 1980, R.L. Drake Company with a TR7 had an upconverting transceiver. <laughs> so, you know, don't don't think this was invented in 2017. Some smart guys here in the U.S. used that process a long time ago, and, and the Drake TR7 
you know, was really advanced state-of-the-art technology. A lot of them are still on the air today. But, I mean, it's just there's nothing wrong in taking something from the 1970s and 80s and then modernizing it and updating it. Like the Drake drifted, <laughs> you know, you don't have that problem with an SI 570 or, you know, 5351. Doesn't drift, you know. So Speaking of which, you had some stuff on your bench there, Pete Giuliano. What have you been working on? <laughs> a few things. Actually, uh, in, in thinking about 194 here, I, I wanted to do two things before I talk a little bit about what's on my bench. And, uh, in 193, uh, we received some negative comments, some negative comments about, uh, uh, the content and how we approach things. And I just, I'd like to take a few seconds to address this. You may not have the intestinal fortitude to do that, Bill, but I sure do. I mean, it's my Italian heritage. First of, uh, you know, the Solder Smoke podcast is not for Bill and I. It's for you. <laughs> you know, we want to try to bring information and share information that we're, we're made aware of. Just, just like a few seconds ago when Bill talked about the, uh, the microbitics. And the other thing is, uh, one of the comments was, well, there was, there was no technical content. Well, uh, you got to realize there's a whole level of, of listeners. Some people are very deep into the technical aspects and other people are just starting. And, and to wit, uh, I, I like to think that we're maybe instrumental in some people actually bridging the gap. I know of two hams who have contacted us that just became hams as a result of listening to Solder Smoke. And, and congratulations. And uh, uh, one in particular is Dave Wilson. He received uh, – I don't know what his call is, but he just passed his test. And he said it finally got him to the point after listening to Solder Smoke, you and I saying, look, yeah, I'm going to do this. So if we're doing anything is encouraging people to, to get the, melt the solder, uh, go get a ticket and get on the air and just have some fun. So, uh, it, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if we disappointed you from a technical standpoint, but there are a lot of other people that we hear from that, uh, this is, uh, this is encouraging them to move forward. You got any comments, Bill? I think, uh, Pete, you know, 99% of the, the feedback we get, very positive. People have a lot of fun yeah. with it. And, yeah. uh, and so, I mean, you, 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 they think it's your Italian background gets you to, you know, you, you, know, you, you gotta, yeah, you, you're, you're fighting his finger now. Just like, remember that scene in The Godfather where, uh, where, where Joey, you know, is gonna go beat up his brother-in-law, he grabs his finger, ah! Alright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I just ignore, I, I ignore it. I do. Well, I, I don't want to – all information is good information. If we're missing the mark, uh, certainly we want to be open uh, to uh, any changes or anything that it's going to help the, the listenership. Uh, certainly we want to address that. It's and, just and, like – And if it gets too severe, I'm sure you, you know a guy, right? I know a guy that knows a guy. <laughs> <laughs> People who are not from New York don't know what that means. Uh, yeah, it's better, it's probably be better to leave it that way. Be, you know, it's funny you should say that because uh, my, my, my son, Tim – who, who got married in October, uh, I was asked to give a toast at the wedding. And, uh, when I finished the toast up, I told, I told his lovely wife, I said, and by the way, Amy, if he doesn't treat you right, I know a guy that knows a guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So All right. We're well, moving on back, back to radio, back to the bench. What is on your bench? You're working on stuff. Well, I'm working a little, this a little, that, I, I you know, I, I tend to dig out old boards. I had a board that was a 30 meter CW, Transceiver that an article I wrote for QRP Quarterly, and I'm I'm not really into CW, so I took the board and I've I've got the workings of a sideband transceiver, 
but a lot of the uh, effort and energy in the board uh, on the bench is not so much on the bench as it is in a computer. I'm trying to uh, do some things with displays uh, to add some functionality. I mean, it's one thing just to get digital frequency generation. It's another thing to have an S-meter <laughs> on the display. It's another thing to be able to do RIT. So I'm trying to learn a little bit more about uh, the capability of the Arduino and, and what it can do. And, uh, and to that end, uh, Bill, you and I have seen some projects that people have shared with us where they've taken an Arduino and they do a lot more than just generate a frequency. I mean, Dave up there in Canada, yeah, he's got that – This it's a project that's going to be shared at FDIM. Uh, I mean, this thing is a RTTY PSK decoder and all in one, and it's an Arduino sitting there doing it. I mean, totally amazing. And the other part is he – he put a Bluetooth on the front of the Arduino, so now, uh-oh, he's controlling it from his cell phone, <laughs> you know. He can turn the rig on and off from from, from his cell phone, so it's amazing what's happening. So uh, I, I've been spending a little time trying to do a little bit more than just generate a frequency, but other aspects. So uh, that, that's what's on the bench. Got a few transceivers uh, in work here, but uh, the real effort has been in front of the computer, and that's where I can see um, – Really having, <laughs> really having a knowledge of what you need to do uh, makes a big difference. I mean, you can stumble around for hours and then suddenly hit on something and amazing, you know, everything comes together. So uh, a, a lot to be said. Oh, but uh, transceivers in the works here, and hopefully um, so you'll see something coming forth. Excellent, excellent. You know, Pete, I'm gonna. I guess we'll switch over to my bench now, which you can see behind me here. Yeah, you can see it in too detail, but you are going to be proud of me, my friend. You are going to be proud because I have been, I've been digging out, digged out, man. I am, I am into ones and zeros, you know, and it's, it's. I've had to I, sometimes. This state down in history, guys. Mark this state down in history. Oh, I tell you what, it's one for the books here. But I, I called this section, I guess, my SDR adventures and misadventures. You know, um, I am definitely. An HDR guy. I will be. I, I admit it. I'm not going to change. Hardware defined radio, the old radios, you know, and, and you have dragged me, you know, sort of kicking and screaming into the, the world of SI5351 and the Arduinos and all that. But there is part of it that, that I really found interesting. And Tony Fishpool and others over in the UK were responsible for getting me into this. It's the RTL SDR. These are these little dongles that uh, they use in Europe to do so that people could watch direct digital TV on their computers. They're, they look like a little memory stick, but it's got uh, a, a digital receiver in there, a direct sampling receiver. And I really like it. It's, it's they're, they're like 15 bucks. You can modify them a little bit, and you plug them into the computer, and you fire up uh, the appropriate SDR software. And as, as we always say, Bob's your uncle. You have an SDR receiver with a panoramic display on your computer it's it's fun and it's easy and it doesn't require a whole lot of digital knowledge or digital agony right so i've had that for a while i have the hdr uh, hd the, the program i use is hdsdr it operates under windows it's easy to load once you get it on there you have to fool around with the settings a little bit you have to put a couple drivers in the right file but that's about it and then it really works um and then I think the RTL-SDR dongle, even for a hardware guy like myself, there is some room 
for hardware work and experimentation and innovation. For example, it it needs some front-end filtering, especially if you're you're living in an area like I do with a lot of RF in the around. We have a lot of very powerful FM and AM broadcast stations close by. Northern Virginia is just chock full of VHF and UHF. There's all kinds of stuff in the ether. So I'm aware of the fact that I always need some front-end filtering. So for, for this RTL SDR dongle, I I built uh, a little front-end. It's a 40673 MOSFET. You guys will like that. I tied the two gates together, made it into a regular old MOSFET, and then I put uh, a dual-tune circuit up in the front of it. I might have just gone with one tune circuit, but I just put it there. And uh, it, it improved it improved the gain. You could see where the noise floor is. You could see it move it up. I got a little switch so I turned on. I power the, power the whole thing with a 9-volt battery. I have a little box. I got pictures out of up up on, on the Solder Smoke blog. But Oh, yeah, one thing. When I started running this thing, it's great because I have another one for VHF, and I could go up into the VHF range. And I, I went a while back, I was struggling with the air band, the airplane band. <laughs> there you go. And now, now I realize what my trouble is. These guys don't say anything. Yeah. Delta three thirty six tower six. Thirty two right. That's it. Each the transmissions when you see them on the waterfall, they're just like little bursts, and then then, you know, five minutes will pass, then there'll be another little burst. So if you're sitting there tuning around the old-fashioned way, wow. Anyway, anyway, so not too much on the air band, but anyway, Pete. All this digital, one thing leads to another. It's like, you know, it, these are like gateway experiences. They lure you in, you know. And so there was a video that went around a while back about a guy who had used the Raspberry Pi. Because that's the next step. You, you start with the Arduino, right? It's, you know, yeah. and the next thing you know, you're a hardcore Raspberry Pi junkie. Anyway, um, the Raspberry Pi, this guy had, I sent you the video, and I think I put it up on the blog. You see, he's got the little RTL-SDR dongle. He's got a little, sometimes people use an up converter if you don't want to do the internal modification to get HF. And then he's got, it goes off, and you can see the Raspberry Pi sitting there. And he very seductively reaches over, grabs the Raspberry Pi, and it looks like it's sitting on top of something. And he flips it over, and it reveals a 7-inch touchscreen. And he's got in the in the Raspberry Pi, he's got the SDR software running, and it's going to the screen. So there's no mouse, no keyboard. It's all just touch. He pushes, he pushes, he moves it over. He moves the passband. He expands the the frequency range with his fingers. And I thought, holy cow! Gotta I have want, one of those. I, I want one of those, man. Yeah, that yeah. looks just so cool. So I started down that path, and I started messing with Raspberry Pi. I had an old Raspberry Pi here. Next thing you know, I had the Raspberry Pi. I got a big old monitor on the on the table. I'm fooling around with the SD card, and I suddenly found myself sinking into the morass of Linux. Uh-oh. People are going to get mad at me. We're going to get hate mail about this. All right? I've used Linux I've used Ubuntu. I've used all the kangaroo, all the African animals. I've had them on lots of PCs. Whenever a P back in the back when we were really deep into roadkill computers, every time a computer died, and I, I lost the operating system, boom, it would be Ubuntu. You know, the next thing you know, I'd be running an Ubuntu computer. 
And the thing I found about it, you know, not being a software guy, there's a learning curve. But I climbed up that curve so many times that I'm tired of climbing up the curve because what happens is you'll learn about it and you'll learn, okay, you'll learn some of the commands, you'll learn sudo this and sudo that and all that and how to do simple stuff. But then you'll be away from it for a year, year and a half. And then you'll be back and you think, oh my God, I'm going to have to learn all this stuff again. So as we've been talking about on the on the podcast, you have to kind of know your limitations. You also have to know what you like and what you don't like. Because this is a hobby and it's for fun, right? And so yeah. I was sitting here one day, I, I, but sometimes you don't, you know, it's like, you're like the... You like the frog in the pot of boiling water, you know. <laughs> you don't. It keeps the temperature keeps rising a little bit, little bit, little bit. And you don't realize that you're getting boiled, right? Cooked, yeah. yeah. Cooked. Uh, so sometimes that'll happen to me. And I'll I'll sit back and I'll say, Hey, wait a sec, wait, 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 wait. The bench is covered with raspberry pie stuff. It's like there's raspberry pie jam smeared all over the bench, and. There's all these little computer little clip leads, and I'm pulling my hair out, and I've got the monitor and the mouse and the keyboard, and I'm thinking, I don't really like this stuff. So, you know, life is short. So I said, okay, that's it. Nope, boom. I got it. Put it away. Put it all away. Clear off the bench. Back to hardware to find radio. But, you know, you never give up that easy, do you? Nope. You're still, you're still, you're still thinking about that yeah. guy with that 7-inch display. Yeah. And this is where Ken... G4IIB came to the rescue because he recognized really what I wanted. I wanted the eye candy. I wanted the glittering screen with the with the cute little waterfall and the panoramic display and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't want to go through the pain and agony. Also, look, here's something I thought about. If you're not a software guy, software-defined radio might not be for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, you know, I, I, would, I wouldn't say to somebody, hey, if you don't like hardware, you know, you should build direct conversion receivers. No. I mean, to each his own, right? So, but anyway, uh, Ken came up with the ideal solution, and it is big-time appliance-y. Appliance-y. Yeah, it is. I admit it. But I had to go this way because I'm not a software guy. And what Ken said was, instead of messing around with the 7-inch display for the Raspberry Pi 3, because you're going to have to buy a new Raspberry Pi 3 to get it updated. It's about 35 bucks. But the screens were really expensive. They wanted like 68 75 bucks for a 7-inch display. Yeah. And I rarely spend that much money on, on radio stuff. So, yeah, he's got one there. He's showing me one on the screen, yeah. Um, but then Ken came up with this excellent solution. He said... Why don't you buy your just buy yourself a little tablet computer, and a tablet computer with a seven-inch display? So you get the display, it comes with the computer, it's also a tablet, and then all you have to do is go to Google Play and download the app, SDR Touch. Anyway, the thing arrived yesterday. I ordered it from Amazon. Get this, fifty bucks. I mean, sometimes. You know, I, I lose touch with what's happening in the world of consumer electronics. But I'm going to show Pete. This is the thing here. It's yeah. A, it's an AstroTab A737 7-inch quad-core tablet. And 50 bucks or 52 bucks or something from Amazon. 
And, uh, and thank you to all those who, who, who shopped through the Amazon link on the Solder Smoke blog, because that's how I paid for this thing. <laughs> yeah, your, your, yeah. your money at work, yeah. or actually Bezos's money at work. Thanks for yeah. doing that. But that's actually how I, how I did it. And, you know, so the thing arrives, it arrived last night. I opened up this morning as I was waiting to talk to you. I pulled it out. Okay, there's the tablet. I take the RTL-SDR dongle, boop, plug it in. I go to the Google Play Store. I click Download, uh, you know, SDR Touch. I click another button to download the drivers. I hook up the antenna. Pete, it works. That's it. I mean, no fuss, no agony, no trying to figure out, you know, the, 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 the incompatibility of the driver and the, and the program. And the, and the screen and the settings and the Linux and all that. And it's sitting over there now. It's, it's a thing. It's a thing of beauty. It's great. It's got the display. It's got a little touch thing and everything else. And so I can do what that guy in the video did. I can pick up my seven inch display and say, behold, the 40 yeah. meter band from one end to the other. And there's another aspect of that. Uh, that's all self powered. It, yeah, it is. It's self-fired, so I mean, you don't have to have a Raspberry Pi power supply. You, you, you got everything right there. So, Pete, this is this this is where we get to an important point now, and I think this is something that we might be right now, kind of putting home brewers on a slightly different path. Are you ready to have your mind blown? Yeah. Okay, here we go. You know, we've been fooling around with these little displays. I mean, even the little ones. I got a, an OLED radio with the one little, little tiny, little one by one inch display. You know, these tablets now are so cheap. Just pick up the tablet, and the next time you build a rig, don't put a little OLED screen in there or a little 16 by 2 LCD. Just slap one of these tablets in the front panel, right? And so you're going to get, you're going to, with the, with that and the dongle, you could get the whole panoramic display. And the software wizards I know would be, would find it really easy to link that up to the actual transmit circuitry. So you could have a transceiver with a panoramic display, or you could just use, you know, a regular transceiver. I mean, the, the possibilities are really mind-blowing here. And it's just, when you think about it, it's just another display option that we have. But can you imagine homebrew rigs coming out with a display that rivals that of some of these $10,000, you know, computer box appliance radios? I think it's some, yeah. I think it's something that we should be exploring, especially with these tablets now at fifty bucks. Plus, the other thing is when you have this thing in there as the display on your transceiver, you also have in there a completely capable Wi-Fi functioning computer system. So when you take this thing with you, if you get tired of uh, of listening to the to the chatter on the forty meter band. You hit the other button, and the whole internet comes flying out of the screen. I mean, Netflix, <laughs> watch movies, yeah, and, and yeah, and you could, but also, I mean, yeah. the the potential for things like you know to use it with uh, you know the skimmers for um, the uh, the uh, um, the reverse beacon network for Whisper, for all this stuff, for and then all the digital modes, they're all in there too. Everything, you know, it's it's quite something, and it's something, and I. And realize this is coming from a guy who is a hardware-defined radio guy, but there's a lot of potential. Did you ever think he'd, you'd hear? I mean, look at this. Do CQR. I want it. I want. I want it to be remembered that I was the one who launched the tablets in the radio revolution. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs>
Did you did you get a uh, external card for it, like a thirty two gigabyte flash drive card put no, in there? No, it's got it's got all kinds. It's got oh man, it's got all kinds of RAM and everything else, and it's got everything. Usually, you need. usually comes with about six gigabyte. I, I, forget, then, I, I forget what the specs are. I have the manual here somewhere, but I didn't need it. No, I didn't need anything else. It's got eight, well, gig, eight gigs of RAM. Yeah, I'm just saying you can, some of these you, they have a little slot in there for 14 bucks. You get a 32 gigabyte uh, flash card and put it in there, and that that even gives you more memory. You know, things that you may want to store. Like I know. You were you're talking about the utility aspect. Wouldn't it be nice if you could store a lot of data that's easy for reference? I mean, for instance. You may have this in a radio, and you got a problem. Say, oh God, if I only had the schematic. Guess yeah. what? <laughs> you do. Well, this thing, <laughs> right there. That, there it, it, is. it has a record function too. I mean, yeah. you, you're talking to some guy, and you hit the button, and you say, okay, look, I'm going to play you back. Boom! You hit another button, and, and you're playing back. And so, I mean, it's it, there's a lot of really cool technology in there, and, and it was very, very user friendly. I mean, if I could get it up and run it in a few minutes. Uh, it's that that's pretty good. So thanks to Ken G4IIB uh, for that for that uh, contribution, and it saved me from the uh, the heartache of Linux. I'm sorry, Linux fans. I know, but it's really funny when you ask the Linux guys for advice. I mean, I, there is a, there's an element of uh, there's a lack of self awareness on some of this stuff because you, the message starts out. I don't know anything about Linux. I don't really want to become a Linux expert. But can anybody help me get Linux to do this? And the answers come back, oh, it's easy. And then there's 15 lines of completely opaque gibberish. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it makes perfect sense to the Linux guys, but yeah. not to, to mere mortals. No. What, when I was uh, fooling around with the uh, Raspberry Pi 3 and got the uh, SDR transceiver working, I had a, a couple of questions, and I went on, went on one of the reflectors. And, and here's – it was a question I just – Totally didn't understand. I'd say, look, I, I don't understand this. Could someone please explain it to me? And the reply back from a ham in the UK was, if you have to ask that question, you don't belong on this reflector. Oh, man. That's, see, that's, see, but for me, that's, that's a good illustration of the difference in culture. That's the difference between ham radio culture and, I hate to say it, but computer world culture. It happened to me, too. I mean, and guys didn't really – they weren't meaning to be harsh about it. But when I posted this question, uh, one of the answers I got back, the fr in the first line, the guy labeled me a noob. And you're, well, you, yeah. you as a noob. You know, and as soon as, I, I think as soon as you start putting, giving people kind of labels, pejorative yeah. names and labels, boom, you've, yeah. you've moved out of the ham radio tradition. So, yeah. I mean. I, I mean, I, it was an honest question. Yeah. So where else am I going to ask it? You, yeah, know? Right. you might have to call that guy again, Pete. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. But back to hardware. <laughs> yes. There's a couple of things I want to mention here. Um, I, 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 I'm, I continue, you know, I, I'm like you now. You, you're influencing me in many ways. It used to be that I worked on projects one at a time. <laughs> no more. <laughs> that, that's, oh, yes. The, 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 the workbench is, you know, is a complete. Chock full. And, and I'm not even retired yet. When, when do I retire, man? Yeah. It's going to get out of hand. But, um, the uh, one of the projects that I continue to work on is the um, Armand HRO uh, receiver for 40 meters. It's got the 455KC IF. I, I had a little bit of, of trouble with it, and I had to, to work on it. It was one of these weird things. All of a sudden, it started getting kind of flaky on me. I couldn't figure out what it was, and I went in there, and I messed around a lot, and I found, finally found there was a little kind of intermittent short 
but I realized that I wasn't quite happy with the um, the wide filter. One of the reasons I built this receiver the way I did was, well, I had a 455KC uh, crystal ceramic filter uh, or, 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 or crystal, mechan crystal mechanical filter, one of these old uh, uh, Toyo crystal mechanical filters that I put in there. But then I wanted... I wanted it to be broader so I could listen to AM because there's got a lot of good AM activity up on 7290, 7295. So I kind of cobbled together this thing using IF transformers. And, you know, Doug DeMoor had recommended this. A lot of times Doug recommended things not for electronic purposes but for economic purposes. And it ended up being a real kind of a kludge. It was a kludge. There's the lexicon. Or kludge. However you, whatever you like, whatever floats your boat. Kludge, kludge. It was a bit of a mess, you know? So I started figuring there's got to be a better way of doing it. And then there, along comes, the radio gods have spoken, fate. Uh, an article appears in Sprat 166, one of the most recent ones, by Bernie, G4HJW. He's got an article on using ceramic resonators to build uh, filters for, for, for ham radio gear. So I went on to eBay and I got this little bag, a whole bag, little bag of little orange 455KC ceramic resonators. And I'm going to try to, to use the uh, G3UUR, you know, crystal characterization method to get the parameters and then use the AADE software to design the filter. But my goal is to make a filter that's broad enough to be really pleasant sounding when receiving AM signals. But uh, that's that's one of the things I'm working on. It's going to be kind of fun. I, I fooled around with it a little bit, and I keep ending up with I keep ending up with crystal filters that are that are they're narrower than I want them to be. So I've got to I got to kind of broaden them out a bit. But I, I'm going to do it the right way and use the the the, the hardware and the G3UUR method. So that's going to be kind of fun. Before we get off my bench. I came across an old Sprat, and there was uh, an article in there. It was—I I don't have it with me here—but it was the Sprat that had the Epiphyte transceiver, which used NE six hundred and two s. Derry Spittle, yeah, the VE seven. He's yeah. a silent key now. In the same in the same magazine, I, there was another article by Byron. I forget Byron's last name, but everybody will know who I'm talking about. He wrote a lot of uh, articles for Sprat, and this one was called the BLT. And he called it that because he called it Byron's last transceiver. <laughs> and he, when he started the article, he was, he was talking about why he did it and why he built it. And, and he said, the only really re only reason I built this thing was because it was time for me to do a transceiver in a different way. And you've been recently talking about this on your blog, but there, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. You use that old cliche, but, um, there's more than one way to do a, an HF transceiver. And, uh, that's what I kind of found. I, I built, I built now, I built three BitXs. I've done a BitX 40. I got another one in the box that I'm going to work on. But, and it's great, but you, you start using the same circuitry and architecture over and over again. You get into a bit of a rut. So I decided to do something different. And that was the, the, the origin, part of the origin of this, um, NE602 rake that I've been working on. You know, I'm, a, I'm averse to chips, Pete. I told you about this. You were aware of this, right? But there's a guy using using a tablet. I know <laughs> as a front panel display. I, I, okay, I know. I'm, I you guess say I, I, may, I, I may I may require an intervention here at some point. But um, <laughs> you know, um, the thing is, because of you, I built this um, SI5351 VFO 
with the cute little OLED uh, display in it. And I got it working, working really nicely. But then it's sitting there, and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, I got to do something with this. And, you know, we talked about this in the last podcast. One thing leads to another. Well, maybe I'll just build a little crystal filter. Okay, what am I going to put on either end? Well, now, oh, I'll just put it in. Okay, so the the idea was a real simple transceiver with an NE602 as the front-end mixer, a crystal filter. I built it at 11 megahertz. Another NE602 at the output that serves as both the IF amplifier and the um, the BFO mixer, right? Some audio amplification and what's the phrase? Bob's your uncle. There you go. And you've got a receiver. So I started doing that, and I I used one of the boards that you sent me. One of the one of the boards made with the two hundred fifty thousand dollars CNC milling machine, which added an important element of N six N six Q W Mojo. I'm putting my fingers together here in a very Italian. Yeah, yeah, well, I understand. Mama mia. <laughs> I can see it. Yeah. How could it, how could it fail? And um, anyway, uh, it it all went together, and it is cool. I'm working on it, and. It's just, I'm having a lot of fun with it. We're, we're taking care of, every one of these things, every time you do something different, you face kind of different problems. I've got it boxed up. It's, it's, it's almost a thing of beauty. I'm going to put a picture of it up on, that'll be the headline picture on the blog. I even made, you know, my metal work is so terrible that when I cut out the little square hole for the OLED, it always looks really terrible. But you could, you could patch things over, you know, so I, I went and I got some plastic. I, I got a plastic from, you know when you buy a little thing of uh, of coffee in the plastic, they come not, not in tins anymore, they come in little plastic containers, and there's some really soft plastic up on the top, and I cut out a little square, and I made myself this like... An escutcheon. An escutcheon, that's the word. <laughs> yeah. Somehow bezel, bezel comes to mind, but an, an escutcheon is better. And I just glued it on there. And man, it looks it looks yeah, fine business. Absolutely. That's but anyway, uh, that's what what I've been 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 working on. I got to th- go ahead. I I just want to uh, before we forget because you said a couple of things here which uh, I wanted to make sure we we shared. Uh, you were talking about the Sprat, and when I think of Sprat, I think of uh, Tony Fishpool. No oh, man. Yeah, and I think about uh, another guy by the name of Nick Tile. And in many ways, they're like you and I. You know, we're we're always sharing things. But uh, I want to go back to the Arduino point. You, you should see the instrumentation that that Tony and and Nick are working on. That's Arduino based, a comb generator. I mean, this is something that was a ten thousand dollar piece of equipment, and and now these guys have got comb generators that they built out of a you know a fifteen dollar Arduino, and and it's dramatic because it's not only it's not only the aspect of frequency generation or digital control, but it's the instrumentation that, that people are building. And and I wanted to mention that about uh, Tony. He sh- he shared with me no, some photographs. So you can, you can look at you look at it and say, "This is what you need to work on radios." I mean, you need no, a no, tool he, like this when you're when you're evaluating a receiver. This is what you need. And amazing stuff. And he the all, t- t- they, they have also they were also big into the RTL SDR. Yeah. They were they wrote yeah. some good articles for uh, yeah. for Sprat, you know. And Sprat, I love Sprat. There was at the beginning when when DDS articles started coming out, there was a little bit of resistance, but but I think Tony and the others have kind of showed that yeah. this is such an yeah. important part of of ham radio today. And now Sprat is, uh, you know, guys. I keep saying, if you're not subscribed to Sprat, as they used to say in the army, you're wrong. 
you know, it's just, it's just yeah. wrong. So, you know, contact the, the GQRP guys. It's a, it's a wonderful magazine. I tell you, one thing about Sprat that it, it, it causes, it brightens my day at least four times a year. And if you subscribe to Sprat, you will have a similar experience. When you go out that mailbox and there's all that junk mail in there, and right in the middle of all that junk mail is this plastic envelope from the UK with Sprat in it, <laughs> your day just brightens, my friend. And, and the uh, the other aspect of it, too, is on the back page is, is the shop. Oh, the shop. My favorite it's store. Almost, yeah. I mean, they've got parts in there that you, you're always saying, where am I going to find this? There it is. Nine megahertz SSB filters. Filters, yeah. With, for, for with, less, with the crystals for the BFO? Oh. Yeah, 12 pounds. 12 pounds. The you know, toroidal you do, cores that you really need, not the weird ones that you don't need? Yeah. Any and, 602s? And, yeah. IRF 510s? Yeah. Oh, all that. And, the, and the prices are really very, very good. So great, great magazine. But I did want to mention about about Tony and, and the, the work he's doing on instrumentation. He even built, built a digital power supply with a tracker on it. I mean, it wouldn't be nice to say, I'm going to set it for 12 volts and it's not going to move. And, and there it is. He even showed how you could use the RTL-SDR dongle um, and, and a noise generator to characterize the bandpass characteristics of filters. And he just throws the noise in there and shows the frequency at which the noise is getting through and it comes up with a neat little graph and that's just great stuff and and so yeah three cheers for tony fishpool and and the and the guys at the, at sprout and the gqrp club yeah back to the ne602 there was a couple i, I had a couple of really kind of interesting experiences you know because the ne602 is a kind of part that we all played with years ago when we were building things like like the sudden receiver from the gqrp club you know and it's just a or the neophyte all different versions and it was a classic Direct conversion receiver with the NE602 serving as the the front end, the the oscillator, the mixer, all in one chip, and then it would go out to an LM386 uh, audio amplifier. And with the two chips, you'd have a simple direct conversion receiver. Still, a, still a great little piece of circuitry. Um, but then we, you know, you don't you don't work with it for a long time. And I got into Bidix land, and I kind of became unfamiliar with. I had to refresh my memory on the NE602. And I found out a few things that you have to keep in mind when you're working with these chips. And I, I, I recommend using them. I mean, people people complain, oh, they're not the best of dynamic range and all this other stuff. Yeah, okay, they're not perfect, but there's a lot of them. They're kind of cool, too, because they were originally built, you know, for the early cell phones, that for, for VHF, uh, UHF service with the early cell phones. They're now available in surface mount, and you could still get the old kinds with, you know, leads sticking out of it with wires. I got a bunch of those on eBay. One thing you have to remember when you're using the NE602, unlike some of the other chips, it's really important to put bypass capacitors on the inputs or the outputs. I, I went through a couple of different, couple of kind of rough afternoons here where I couldn't get the NE602s or the new, new receiver to work. And it was because I was putting the input right in from like from a transformer right into the, the input pin on the NE602 without a bypass cap in there. And what this was pin doing. Two. Yeah, have you done that? Yeah, yeah, too. <laughs> yeah, because what and what happens is you're you're messing up the the DC biasing of the of the transistors inside the chip, because whatever bias that they have on the base of the transistor at the input, it's going to zero because it's going through the the coil that you just attached to pin one or pin two. So don't do that. Put a little 
got to pay attention to the where they where the, the circuit calls for, you know, a bypass cap. That's really important. Now, and uh, and so um, the other thing is, you, get, you these things are easy to destroy. If you put a little bit too much juice in there, you could blow these things up. But one time I had a I had an episode I call the carnage of any 602s where I just <laughs> you know there were dead any 602s all over the shack, and I was putting too much too much uh, VCC in there. Keep it yeah. at eight volts. Eight volts is good, and you use a use a regulator to power with an eight volt volt regulator. And hey, hey, Bill, I wanted to ask you: Did you try your your any six hundred two transceiver of not putting uh, SI fifty three fifty one in the front end mixer and make it self excited? Just put a, a coil and a cap in there. I have at different times, but since you convinced me that SI fifty three fifty one is the way to go, uh, well, you know, you're the analog guy. I figured. I know, but this whole thing this whole thing started because I had this little OLED, this cute little OLED VFO. Look at him; he's, he's just rubbing it in. This is, you know, he seems. He seems like a very nice man, but there's a sadistic element here. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I can Calabrese think. What do you want to, you know, asking me, did I do that? <laughs> no. You're making me feel but bad. That, like, but that's an option. That's an it option. is it's an option, yeah, but the whole purpose of this thing was to get the OLED going in there. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, uh, Okay, the, uh, one thing one thing we did find out about using the OLED with this receiver is that you know, and we've heard about this. People say, "Oh, the the, the OLED generates a lot of noise." It can. It there can be some noise in there, and I did have trouble when I first got the thing going. I, there was there was noise, and I traced it, and it was coming from the OLED down the the power. It was going on to the to the twelve volt or the eight volt power rail. And I knew that, that it was the OLED that was causing the trouble because I would have the receiver running and I would hear in the background this like that. And you say, okay, where is that coming from? You disconnect the antenna, it's still there. So it's not coming from outside, it's coming from inside the receiver. Yeah. All right? That's the first like sort of troubleshooting thing. So you know it's coming from inside, you know your circuitry is generating. And I just reached in and there's the OLED sitting there. Everything else is running and I just plucked the OLED out. Pulling out a tooth, pluck it out. So the SI5351 and the Arduino is still there, it's still running. It's just that the display is out, right? And the, I could now I am still hearing the signals on 40 meters. They're coming in through just fine. But as soon as I pluck that OLED little board out, the noise disappears. Boom! There's your source. It's coming from the OLED, right? So then I start I start putting the scope on the power rail as I put the OLED in and out. And sure enough, I can see on the, the rail that the OLED is putting a little bit of, of signal on there. And when it gets to the audio amplifier that I have in the receiver, it's coming into the audio amplifier. It's, I think it was like 400 hertz or something like that, 200 hertz. And definitely in the, in the, in the audible range, I was hearing it. So... I tried to get rid of it with additional bypass. Sometimes if you put some more, you know, uh, 100 microfarad or 200 microfarads on that line, you'll you'll decouple it. You'll knock it down so it's not going to do it. But there's a lot of audio amplification in there, so any little kind of noise on that power line is going to going to get you. So I remembered a bit of circuitry that I had seen in rigs by by Rick Campbell and uh, Roger Hayward Roy Llewellyn. Roy Llewellyn was the one who pioneered this thing in the optimized QRP transceiver. That little transceiver, you always see the picture of it next to a quarter, tiny little thing. And what they did is they used a, a stage called active decoupling. 
It's a really neat little little stage. It's three parts. It's a, a transistor, uh, a bypass cap, and a feedback resistor. And you put it in the line to the AF stage that is most susceptible to picking up the noise, which is usually the first AF amplifier. And it just basically goes in the power line to that first AF amplifier. And you put it in there, and, and as soon as I, I, I tried the additional filtering, decoupling didn't work, the noise was still there. As soon as I put the stage in there, boom, gone, done. So I, I don't think you need to use it on every single rig, but sometimes if you have a, a noise problem that you know is coming from inside the, the rig and you, you want to get rid of it, take a look at the active decoupling circuits. We have, uh, we have something on that on the, on the Solder Smoke blog. One more thing. Another lesson learned working on this new transceiver, and I want to share this with people. You know, and, and this also has to do with the uh, RTL-SDR rig that we've been talking about. Um, <coughs> when you work with 40673 MOSFETs or any kind of dual-gate MOSFETs, they're old parts, but we still use them a lot, and I like them. They're kind of like, you could think of them, they're like, they're like a transistor version of a triode. You know, it's just easy to kind of visualize. But um, I, I I just quickly threw one together for this NE602 rig. And I wasn't even, I just, I knew what I, I had to put on the drain. I sort of knew what I had to put on the source. I, I thought I knew what I had to, how to do it with the gate. I built a lot of these things. And I just sort of quickly threw it together because I wanted to get the front end filtering to work. And it was mostly as part of constructing the front end uh, filter to knock down the broadcast band interference and, and have a 40 meter pass band in there. It worked. It was working great. But then I would notice a weird thing, and this is sort of another troubleshooting hint, that without touching anything, without working on it, without messing with it, all of a sudden the receiver's performance would start to degrade, and it would get to the point where it was like dead as a doornail. I'd say, what the heck is wrong with this thing? I haven't messed with it. I haven't changed anything. I'd go to another receiver. It's not that the band is dead. The band is open. But this receiver has suddenly, not suddenly, but sort of gradually gone deaf. Wow. What is it? So I go in, and as you do with the receiver, a lot of times you, when you're troubleshooting a receiver, you know, you, all you really need to do a lot of troubleshooting is a screwdriver, right? You, you've done this. You go in there, and the first thing you do is you just touch that screwdriver while you're listening to it to the antenna terminal. Just, it's so sensitive that just touching it there, you should hear a little click, 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 and you know that signals are passing through. And I went there and I touched the antenna terminal and I'm not hearing enough. Wait a second, where is it? So I go to the other side of this little RF, the amplifier that I made, and I touch it. Yeah, now I'm hearing it. So the problem is in there in the amplifier. So where, where, where is it? So I go in and I touch it to the gate terminal on the, on the 40673 MOSFET. Gate 2? Or gate one. I have them tied. To I got them tied together. Tied together. So I just touch the gates, and the second I touch it, boom! The radio is back in business. It's as it's as uh, as as sensitive as it always was. My first thought, Pete, was, "Holy cow! I got a cold solder joint in there," and I touched it, and I fixed. Uh, you know, sometimes if you have a, a solder joint that's that's marked, you had one recently. You're going to admit it here. I'm going to make yeah. 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 But right. I touched it, and I thought, "Wow." You know, I, I got a cold solder joint. So I look and I check. No, the soldering joint's the solder's fine. I, I reheat. I get the soldering iron. I reheat it. After a while, the problem is back. I know where it is. 
You know what it was, what I realized? It just took me a little while to realize it. When I built this thing, I had failed to put in a part that when I looked at it, I said, it's not going to make any difference if I put this thing in there or not. A lot of times, if you look at these 40673 MOSFET amplifier circuits, they have a huge resistor hanging from the gate to ground. Sometimes 100, K, 100 kilo ohms, often one mega ohm, right? And in my mind, I'm looking at that thing, I'm saying, this thing doesn't really need a one mega ohm resistor. I mean, what? I don't even know why they have it in there. So I just didn't put it in there. And that's what got me. Because there's a purpose for that big resistor. And grid you know leak. what it is. <laughs> it's grid leak. Yeah. And it, it's, it's funny. When, when I, I went back and looked up in, in solid state design for the radio amateur, bow your head in reverence, Amen. one of our favorite books. Um, but I must say that sometimes these books, in their explanations of things, can be a bit kind of geeky cryptic. So it talks about this circuit and has a line in there, something like, the purpose of this resistor is to maintain proper bias on the gate of the MOSFET. But wait a second, there's no bias on the gate of the MOSFET. It's not, there's no bias circuitry, right? It's just going from through the filter right in there. But what they meant by that was it's to prevent the buildup of charge on the gate, especially if you're kind of in a dry, wintry environment, or just from signals, it, it will build up. I mean, after it's been on the air for a while, that there's there's a capacitance there. There's a capacitance between the gate and the drain source substrate, and voltage, a charge will build up that will do a number on the sensitivity of your newly homebrewed receiver. And the purpose of that big resistor is to allow that DC voltage that's building up there to drain off. Drain, yeah. yeah. Grid leak. Let it leak. Got to leak it away. Anyway, I was uh, I was kind of an interesting uh, little experience that I had in there. So don't forget about those big resistors. There's a purpose for it. What What was your bad soldering joint story, Pete? Where, where was it? You just recently had one. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember, but I mean, I just... You know, you go run and run and say, uh-oh, bad solder joint, <laughs> and it gets fixed. So yeah. don't don't feel bad, guys. The Wizard of yeah. Newberry Park occasionally <laughs> has a cold joint. I'd like to blame it on the new soldering iron I got, but I can't. <laughs> it was my fault. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I, you know, they have all these things about how you're supposed to keep the tip of the soldering iron, like, super clean and everything else. I think if you visited the shacks of most home brewers, they would be shocked, shock at the uh, lack of cleanliness on soldering iron tips. Except for except for Chuck Adams, who's had the same tip for forty years. Is that is that correct? I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck is an exceptional guy. Yeah. There you go. All right. Hey, maybe it's time. What what part of the show do we get to now, people? Shameless Commerce it's Division. The Shameless Commerce Division. I mentioned it before. You guys by by visiting the Amazon thing up in the upper right hand corner of the seven inch display you you have moved me and perhaps the ham radio homebrew world into the world of you know a a few years from now when all homebrew rigs have seven inch displays with windows tablets or android tablets playing back there and also thanks to your donation so anytime you want to buy something when you're going out to buy those displays start at the solder smoke blog and just put whatever your search term is in there and then, boom, the rest of it goes just like a regular old, uh, you know, purchase. And 
Boom. And the next thing you know, Bezos has to send us some money. Boom. Cha-ching. There you go. And subscribe to Sprat. Go out there. Support the guys at Sprat. It's a wonderful magazine. George Dobbs has been toiling away these many, many years. And it's a, it's a wonderful publication. And, uh, hey, speaking of... Okay, that ends Shameless Commerce Division. You, Pete Giuliano, have an article in Hot Iron this month. Yeah! <laughs> oh, I loved it. It was great. Yeah. yeah. That was great. And um, so that's another thing that you guys should subscribe to. Hot Iron. Uh, Tim Walford out there. And if you just go to the Solder Smoke blog or Google Hot Iron, Tim Walford, it, it's it's free. You just send him your email. He'll send it to you. There's no no money involved. And you, you'll get this wonderful homebrew online magazine now featuring an article by the Wizard of Newbury Park by Pete Giuliano in there. It's quite good. I, I, I really like the tone of, of, of Hot Iron. Well, as I've yeah. said, over the years the, on the, the Washington, D.C. metro system, the, uh, the title has caused some confusion among my fellow travelers on the train. Hot Iron. It looks like you're, you're reading something vaguely illicit. <clears throat> Yeah, well, hey, you know, in in that uh, current issue, number 95, there was a great article by Peter Thornton that it showed how to take a crystal set <laughs> and turn it into a direct conversion receiver. I like that. Uh, I, I mean, there you go. I, I mean, you don't you don't need an NE602. You don't need a 40673. A crystal diode will, can turn that into a direct conversion receiver. Yeah. I think... For a lot of guys who are getting into home brewing, you know, after they do the Michigan Mighty Might and experience the joy of oscillation, the next step is is a, a crystal uh, is, is a direct conversion receiver. I mean, you you got them going with the less build something or the simple receiver. Was it which one was the? Let's both. They both, both started, started out, out with a direct conversion, direct conversion receiver. receiver. But uh, but but great stuff. So uh, so take take a look at look at all that. Pete, it's time for us to, to take a, a brief um, kind of detour into the world of. The solder smoke and home brewing lexicon. Oh yes. A few phrases come up, and this one I, I credit to G6LBQ over there, who we have a, we have some of his work up on the solder smoke blog. He he wanted confirmation that he has the knack. <laughs> he definitely. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and you know he, he sent us a lady. Remember we were talking about these ladybird books from the UK. I mean we're. In the States, we don't have them, but apparently it was a, it was a series of books for young people in, in, to get them involved and interested in science and technology. I think George Dobbs had one of his, his was, was a contributor. I think he had a Lady Bird book, but, um, or at least was influenced by him, if I remember the story right. But uh, G6LBQ uh, sent us a, a picture of, of the Lady Bird book that influenced him as a young fella, and it, it was the same kind of thing that got me interested. I remember... My mother taken me in, I must have been like eight years old, into the local hardware store. And I just realized you could buy these little batteries and, you know, uh, little like light bulbs with the little sockets where you would screw it in and you could wire it together. You could buy a switch and wow. I mean, that was, that was an early indication of the knack. Uh, but he, but, uh, but he, uh, he get, adds another term and I think it's really useful, OTD. He's got, got the, he's got the knack with OTD. You guys, I, I got it. I know some of you guys think that you have OCD. You might, but what you really have, and um, and uh, what you really have is OTD, and it's obsessive tinkering disorder. <laughs> oh man, guilty as charged. 
There's a new one, OTD. I'm looking at your shack, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Guilty. Yes. I don't, I don't think there's a cure. Hey, another phrase that I've been hearing a lot, and I, I, um, I think it goes back to when I was in the Azores and I was talking to a lot of Irish radio amateurs, EI7BA, John. Uh, used to use this phrase. You'll see it sometimes when a guy is taking a picture of his antenna, very often with antennas, and they'll say, it's clearly a thing of beauty. It's a yeah. great phrase. Yeah. And I've seen it when people talk about a transceiver or something else. It's usually said with a little bit of irony because it's something that we find beautiful, but, well, normal people would not find beautiful. But I, I just wanted to, I said to myself, where is this coming from? Because it shows up more and more. And it's sort of made it into contemporary popular culture. You know, it's, it's from, from a poem by John Keats. Oh, I didn't know so that. So it's got, yeah. it's, it's cool. got, it's got deep roots in, in, in English literature. So I think we should use it more. You see somebody, and I, I just happened to use it this week when, when Farhan sent a video about his new micro bitx transceiver, which I have up on the blog, by the way. I just instinctively wrote below it. It's clearly a thing of beauty. I've been asking about this term tombstoning, tombstoning, and I, I couldn't remember where it came from. It came from Don Cantrell, NDC. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, who has been providing really great, great input on mods to the, uh, to the BitX40 module. And, um, he talks about tombstoning. Uh, it's used in a couple of different ways. Sometimes when, 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 when new, new devices are going through the surface mount, parts placement process sometimes i guess the uh, the pick and place machine will not place properly and the the, the, the part instead of being down touching both uh, things will be up oh by the way here's another phrase you know that little the little metallic part on either side of like the capacitor or the resistor in a surface mount thing what do you call that little metal bit the fillet oh the fillet, yeah, the fillet. okay yes if one fillet. of the fillets is not connected to the board and, and its fillet is up in Ooh. the air, then it's tombstoned. But the way Don was using it as was a good way to, to do testing on this stuff because if you need a test point, you can flip the resistor up and take it out of the circuit and test there. So it's a way to use the test point. So tombstoning. Thank you, Don. And finally, there's a phrase. I, we have to handle this quite delicately because this is an extremely family-oriented, G-rated show. But Ken, G4IIB, who is a very serious, sober gentleman, uh, sent us something about one of the rigs that he was working on, and he, he made reference to the smoothness of the audio. I don't know if you caught this, Pete, but he said the audio that results from his crystal filters, or no, I think his SDR filter, and he showed a picture of it, is as smooth as, and that's where we stop, my friends. Because this is a okay. family show. It <laughs> okay. made it into the blog. It made it into the blog. And there were, was some commentary from people saying, whoa, a bit out there. Realize, blame Ken, okay? And he, okay. he told me that he put it in there only to see if the people were really reading. Ah. Uh, some uh, of them were. Yeah. yeah. We get now, we, we know back, we go back to our family format. On there the you air. Go. You, you've been on the air. You've had some contacts, right? Tell us. Yeah. About. Hey. I gotta tell you, think of beauty. All right. So I'm on the air, uh, the other day and this guy down in New Mexico says, Oh, he said, I can't wait. He said, I've got my, um, spider beam coming or hex beam. I'm sorry, hex beam. And I got the mast and he says, I got a, uh, a, uh, 
Yesu G450 bottom mounted antenna rotator coming and he said I gotta put this all together. So I, I immediately jumped in there and says, Oh, think of beauty. I said, uh, let me just talk to you a little bit about that. I said, uh, go to my blog and you'll see some of the experiences I had with regard to, uh, installing the, the, the mast and the rotator and everything. So, uh, so I said, you will end up with a thing of beauty. There you go. <laughs> there, you, and you, there you go. You did it. You did, you, you were yeah, using it too. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. It's a great phrase that it really does capture it. Um, but on the air, you've been on, have you had any good on the air experiences? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I've been running one of the rigs at, uh, on 20 meters at 15 watts and, uh, working a little DX with it. So, uh, with a beam, uh, using my beam and 15 watts, you can work the world. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. I, I, I've had a diverse set of on the air experiences during the last month, Pete. I've been on AM, not on 160, but I've been on AM on 75 and 40 meters. Um, and with the DX100 and the HQ100, and I've had a lot of fun. I've checked into a couple of uh, of Saturday morning nets. This morning I checked into the old military radio net, which here on the East Coast is 3885, starting around dawn. And it's a, a really good bunch of guys. Always a lot of check-ins, so you don't you don't talk too much. But people will talk about their rig and what they're working on. And there's a whole bunch of guys. It's AM. And then a little bit later on Saturday morning, I think at, at around nine o'clock, up in New England. There's a group called the Lonely Guys Net. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Being fanatical, AM users may have something to do with it. Yeah, um, it could be. But they're a good bunch of guys, and I talked to them. I also got back on good old 17 meters. Ooh. It, you know, reports of 17 meters death have been greatly exaggerated. Um, it's in the middle of the day. It's open. I've been work. I worked a whole bunch of Europeans, and it was it was great fun. I got to spin the the moxen around. The the rotator still works, uh, and it was was great fun to be back on seventeen. But by the way, Bill, excuse me for interrupting you. Today's a big contest on twenty meters. So guys who want to get on the air are going to move to seventeen meters. There's some worldwide, I don't know, DX contest, and, and that's another thing too. If you got a QRP twenty meter QRP radio, great time to make a bunch of contacts. It works oh, in right. DX. Yeah, yeah, that's so, fun. Yeah. So this this be a good day, and and you'll be five nine. You'll be, you'll be five yeah, nine with everybody nine, you talk yeah. to. It's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. It's a special yeah. special. You yeah. know, <laughs> you'll have to give your call sixteen times, but it'll be five nine. Enough yeah, of that. Yeah, we're yeah, getting we're getting yeah, bitter. Yeah. We're getting bitter. <laughs> no, but seventeen meters ought to be a really good band to work today because guys that want to get on the air they're not contesters they're going to look to 17 that'd be a great band to get on terrific i had an hb to hb qso spontaneous unscheduled i got on there and i heard w0 pwe on and he's got a a, a 40 meter digitia but his is surface mount and uh <laughs> And it's a really cool rig, and it was Al Fresco at the time. So extra points, extra points for Al Fresco. All right, so Digitia, Al Fresco, excellent stuff. Um, that was a lot of fun. You know, and this is, I blame Don Cantrell on this. Don Cantrell, ND6T, who's been providing so many good hacks. We have a, there's a special web, special blog called BitX Hacks. And people who come up with a good modification to the BitX40 module, we put it, up there, you put up a bunch of them. Farhan's got a bunch of them. I've been mostly just relaying stuff from other people, mostly from Don. But he did one hack. We call it the cap stack hack. I thought that was pretty clever. 
Anyway, it, it's a way of taking the BIDX40 module and very easily putting it on 60 meters. And uh, the cap stack refers to you just have to increase the value of the capacitors on the bandpass filter. And that makes it good for, for 60 meters. Uh, so I started thinking about 60, you know, and with the sunspots in decline, I fired up the old HQ100 and went to the 60 meter frequencies and I heard some really nice stuff there. It's, it's, it's a nice band. It's not really heavily used. Uh, it's quiet because it's channelized. Now, as much as we hate channelization, um, there's an advantage to it in that if you're on that channel, there's nobody on either side of you. So you're listening to SSB QSOs without the little the side chatter that you hear on a crowded 40 meter band. So I, I think I am going to go on 60. Stay tuned. This could be the next big thing. I got I got I got to share with you a quote that I heard about band conditions. Sometimes I'm sure you've had this, Pete, where you're listening and you hear something and you say, "I got to write that down," because <laughs> I want to talk about it on the Sodders Book blog. Uh, Old timer was on and he was just casually commenting on. This was the 26th of February, 2017. So this is no no kidding. He said, "Quote." This is the worst sunspot cycle I remember, and I have been listening since 1948. <laughs> wow, 80 years. That's a lot of listening. Yeah, 70 years. The voice of authority. Seven, yeah, 70 years. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I thought that was good. You do, you, you do realize some of these folks, some of us have been on the air for a long time. Yeah. Hey, I got. I just got. Before we get to the mailbag, I just had a couple of kind of miscellaneous news announcements. You have, you have anything else you want to want to raise here? Oh no. Just, right. uh... Hey, we had a we had a post. We we discovered a uh, uh, kind of a, a one of the a, a nice collection of of magazines called Hambrew. For a while back in the '90s, they were putting out a magazine called Hambrew. Doug Demore was involved in it for for a while, but I really liked it because it was kind of our kind of rigs. A lot of not not overly focused on CW. A lot of phone rigs. A lot of discussions of theory. I guess they they it was they put it out for about six or seven years. I think it was a quarterly, but all of them were were available. I have a link to it on the blog. They disappeared for a while because I think after we we put it on the blog, we might have overloaded the poor guy's server. But uh, it's it's up there, and I noticed that the magazines are back. So grab them. They it looks great. It's free, and I, a lot of good ideas in there. Speaking of publications, I don't know if we mentioned this last time, but experimental methods and RF design back. Available thanks to, to Tom Gallagher there at AWRL NY2RF, the boss up there. Also thanks to Wes and, and the authors who permitted it to happen. Chuck Adams, I understand, was involved in the scanning of the thing. He had to scan it to get it back into digital form. And another guy I want to mention is Farhan for sounding the alarm. I mean, when 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 it first turned out that it was no longer available. Farhan reached out from Hyderabad and said, "Hey, wait a second. This is an important resource for home brewers," um, and and he was very concerned. And I think that was his concern was what got the ball rolling in terms of keeping this book available. So it's it's out now as a classic edition. Steve Ford sent me a copy. Thanks, Steve. Um, and but it's a threefer. It's, it's a, a threefer, threefer because you get threefer. on yeah. on the disc. You get solid state design for radio amateur in digital form. And the more advanced book, Wes's Intro to RF Design. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff in there, too. So um, take a look at that. It's, it's an excellent addition to, to the library. 
And I, I already mentioned all the uh, the posts on BitX Hacks. Check that out. It's bitxhacks.blogspot.com. Even if you're not doing the BitX module, I think you'd like it. Be- before we move off that, Bill, I have been amazed at the number of emails you and I have received by people working on the BitX 40 and oh. some, some of the things some of the things they're doing with them. Oh man, it's amazing I mean, stuff. Yeah, I mean. Guys are building cases. Uh, there's some guys are building a commercial case that, that I think is going to be offered through Farhan's site. Really nice. One thing you should do. I mean, this is no, no, really three, great stuff. 3D, it, 3D cases, you know. You, if you want to see what it looks like when lots and lots of people around the world get involved in home brewing, you got to subscribe to the BitX20 Yahoo group. Um, and it's not Yahoo group anymore. It's now BitX20.io, but it's easy to find and you know, a lot of these these mailing lists become kind of dead after a while because nobody's really doing anything. But it's it's even though it's it's all about the BitX40, it's called it's still called BitX20. Hans Summers runs it, and it's very freewheeling. There's none of this moderation stuff, and, and nobody's going to get mad if you you know post something that's not completely you know in the the mainstream. <laughs> and oh man, some of these lists get kind of silly. Yeah, but. What's, what strikes me about it is every day there's 10, 20 messages from people who are out there who are, for the first time, taking a soldering iron and applying it to a piece of electronic equipment. And great stuff. And a lot of very helpful spirit. So, so check that. I think you're right. I think it's a great thing. I think Farhan has achieved his purpose with this in, yeah, in getting yeah, people to, some, to work. Some of it's a little scary, though. Uh, one guy sent me an email that, that he ripped apart the uh Farhan's display module with the SI5351 and he and he jury rigged it together and used some of my code that I had developed. He asked me for the code, I sent it to him and he said, Your code doesn't work with this thing. I said, Well wait a minute <laughs> I mean the, the 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 pins that I've specified may not be the same pins that, that yeah, I know. Farhan has specified. Yeah. I said, Look, I said Put it back together. <laughs> Use it as is, and then get yourself a separate Arduino and in the eighty ninety eight. Well, yeah, I yeah. said, but I said you can't just do that, you know. But hey, I give the guy an A for effort. <laughs> I mean, but it was a little scary what he did. Live and learn. Live and learn. Yeah. Hey, one thing I want to mention: there's a ham, my local ham fest is coming up, the Vienna Wireless Society Winter Fest. I go to this one. It's right down the road. I always have a fun time. Armand and I always always meet up, and we we kind of join forces in scouring the cardboard boxes under the table. So I'll be looking forward to seeing Armand there. But I have a piece of gear that I'm trying to find a home for. So if you're in the Northern Virginia area or Virginia on, on the East Coast, and you're going to be at Winterfest, and you know somebody who can take a not working. S- S38E. Well, maybe that one. No, a Tech 465. A Tech 465 scope. Yeah, there you uh, go. I, a buddy of mine gave me a Tech 465 scope, and I used it for a while. But it's not working. There's nothing seriously wrong with it. But, man, things scared the hell out of me when I opened it up. It's hard to, to troubleshoot, hard to work on. But there are people out there who can and like to work on it. So if you can convince me that it's a you got a good home for a Tech 465 or know somebody who'd like one, send me an email and I'll bring it to, to Winterfest and you can have it for free because it needs a good home. And does the CRT work? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay, that's worth its weight in gold because those are custom made by Tektronics yeah. and you cannot go in a store and buy one of I know, those. I know, I know, I know. So someone's got a 465 and 
spare parts. I know, I know, at very least. So, but, but it, you know, just let me know, and we'll, we'll be work something out. Pete, it's time for Solder Smoke Mailbag. Mailbag. We got a lot of good mail here. We're already into overtime. It just, you know, in the last podcast, I asked about this, uh, these gloves that these mechanics work wear, and I, I briefly thought that we might be able to find some equivalent for radio work. <laughs> Not a good idea. Just think about it. Even if you get one that works right, what happens when the soldering iron hits that plastic on Catch on fire. Well, not only that, with your hands stuck in it. Yeah. Bad idea. Bad, Bad idea. idea. Thanks to all you guys who contributed, but no, we're going to have to do this. One guy said you should get those latex gloves that the that the doctors use. That just stirs up all kinds of bad memories and images. And no, I think it's better. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. no gloves. Sorry. Okay, we're, let the, mecha- we're the mechanics can do electronic hardware. <laughs> no, no. Uh-uh. Okay, um, VK3YE, Peter Parker down there. Oh, he's got he's got a pair of gloves. Yeah, but those aren't the guy. Yeah. VK3YE, Peter Parker held his event QRP by the Bay. He does this twice a year. He brings in all the locals down to the famous pier there in Melbourne, one of the one of the holy sites of of QRP. There it is. He had a wonderful event. Peter's got a new book out too. I got blog postings about the event and the book, so check that out. Um, you know, he's a funny guy. He's amazing. He, he, made, he made this great YouTube video about guys who try to make money with ham radio about selling products, and he's in a suit, you know, he, he with a tie. Very, you know, very self-deprecating. Yeah, a salesman guy. And he just went through, uh, you know, this is how you can make money, and I, I'm saying this guy is really funny. Yeah, no, Peter, Peter's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, Colin, M1BUU. Oh, yeah. Achieved mountain goat status in the, in the soda world. And then, I, I don't know if we talked about this last time, built the rig on the mountaintop. Yeah. Holy yeah. cow. In a tent, you know, with the wind blowing, laying down in the tent with a butane-powered soldering iron. Well done there, Colin. Stiff upper lip, old man. Mustn't grumble. That's the UK British spirit. Yes. Good job. And uh, congratulations on mountain goat status. Okay, we got another, we got a report of JOO on an MMM in the UAE. Wow. Rock in the Middle East. Martin, A65 DC, achieved the joy of oscillation with a Michigan Mighty Might in the United Arab Emirates. <laughs> There's a lot of acronyms there. That's pretty pretty exotic mix too there. So, uh, congratulations and thanks for letting us know about that, uh, Martin. We talked about Tom NY2RF. Uh, he, he sent us an email. He gave us a preview of, a, of an editorial that's coming up in QST. He's the boss, so he gets to write the lead editorial. And I was really pleased that if you look closely in that editorial, Tom uses the phrase, the joy of oscillation. We're not going to charge him for that. No. Well, I think no. we do have the trademark. We'll, we'll, we'll let him yeah. slide. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Tom. Uh, uh, lots of alfresco rigs. We're hearing about alfresco rigs. W8LM, Bidex on a board. Got a picture of that on the blog. Brad, W8WDQ, built a beautiful DC receiver. Uh, and KA4KXX, um, he also built a DSB rig alfresco from, based on the design from an Oz, a kit from Australia, the MDT. ON6UU, another DSB rig. Uh, a, a, a Spanish kit that he built in Belgium, and he sent us a, a report on that. Very, very good. 
you, ZL1, UEM, he's the guy who came up with the tiny, tiny SI5351 OLED. Did you see that one where he had the, what kind of, what kind of Arduino did he use? It was like a nano? Uh, it, it was all an integral unit. He it had everything mounted back to back. The whole thing was really amazing. Anyway, check that out. That's up on the blog. Um, oh yeah, you know, there's a, there's a tradition of using cookie tins. We don't really call them cookie tins. We call them cookie box, a metal cookie box or something like that. But they're more common in other parts of the world. And when, when Farhan put out the Bidex design, he, at the end, he recommended that any kind of metallic cookie box or candy box could be used as a suitable cabinet. You know, a lot of times. But, but, but. That's a special tin that he's using. Oh, Why? Yeah. <laughs> what, which one? Oh, the popcorn? The, the, no, the cookie tin rig. Oh, yeah. Why is it special? Because it contained Italian cookies. Oh, <laughs> I didn't realize that. I didn't, yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't know yeah. that. We're talking about uh, VK2 EMU's biscuit tin direct conversion receiver. Truly a thing of beauty. Yes. Pictures up on the blog. And, uh, and he asked whether he should paint the thing. And we both said at the same time, absolutely not. It's Don't. an Italian biscuit tin. <laughs> He's got another box too. And I'm not in, I'm not authorized to say, but I, I, I feel certain that there'll be some circuitry in the other box too. You know, if one's a receiver, it's almost crying out for. Yeah, yeah. Know. All right. So anyway, we'll stand by, wait to hear on that. And then, fantastic. The popcorn rig. WA7HRG. Jim, oh, Jim, Jim Purvis, oh, and goes to the movies with his wife and gets this Disneyland. Goes to he Disneyland, went to Dis- Disneyland. Right. and he gets this 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 tin of popcorn with Mickey Mouse on the thing. It's colorful. It says popcorn and everything else. And he brings it home as you do after you eat the popcorn, and he puts in it the Bidex forty with the SI fifty three fifty one, a sound card because he likes to, likes to run it with digital modes. Doesn't paint it. Organizes the the controls so as not to, you know, put a <laughs> an AF unobtrusive game, an AF unobtrusive. game control on Mickey's nose or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, a fantastic piece of work. We got we got those pictures and a video up there on on the Solder Smoke blog. Very good stuff. Thanks for sharing that. VK4 Fox Fox Alpha Bravo. There's not an additional letter in there. The uh, the, the the there's a license class in Australia where you get four letters after the number, but he's got fab in there, and he's come up with a fabulous or fine business intro series on the LT Spice, on how to use LT Spice. We've got a link up there. Good stuff. We need, we need all those intros to LT Spice because there is a bit of a learning curve, but people who've climbed it can make it easier for the rest of us, and his guy did that. Um, we also we already mentioned Ken G4 IIBs. He's 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 had a he's had some Bidex adventures, and and again I'm I'm not going to say anything else. But he's he has extremely smooth audio. Okay, that's it. All right, moving on. Thank you, Ken. Uh, VU2 XE uh, wrote in. He's the guy who sent you the, the 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 CAD design box for his Bidex. A lot of enthusiasm. We had encouraged him a while back to get into the Bidex world, and he did. So VU2 XE. He's got it. He came up with a nice box for the uh, Bidex. We put it and, and, and provided the CAD files. So if you want to make a really fine looking box out of that, uh, take a look at VU2XE's uh, site. Oh, speaking about shockingly beautiful Bidex rigs, G0ETP. Holy cow. 
you, you, this is, you, I've had several moments with Pete when I show him something really modern and beautiful and he gets very Italian and he throws up his hands and says, that's it! Basta! <laughs> I'm taking all of my rigs to the garbage because they're trash compared to this thing. It is. It, beautiful. Mind, mind blowing. It's an SDR yeah. rig, this guy. He wrote all the code himself. He did it exactly the way he wanted to do it. His his S meter is not just a bar. His S meter has got the arc circle, <laughs> and, and it's all digital. It's it's in a TFT display. You got <sighs> to see this thing. I mean, it, it it made me as a hardware guy just think. I have got to get up. I've got to get with the times. This is the world is passing me by. You know, you, yeah. you got the, the the panoramic display, and here I am tuning up and down to see if I can hear anybody. You know, it's kind of and, and and a piece of wood glued onto a, a knob for an <laughs> indicator, right? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of antiquated. I admit it. Finally, uh, Alan W two A E W, our old friend, uh, he's he's on the mend. He's got a broken ankle. It's been laid up. I, I think this results in more time in the ham shack. So. You know, how bad could it be? But, it's like uh, one of your sick days, right? Oh, yeah. It's, it's heart, heartbreaking. i got to spend the day in the shack. You know, how, how awful. Um, but uh, I, looking at Alan, it, I, I was looking at one of his websites on, on SDR stuff, on, on one of his YouTube videos, just a reminder that his videos are a true treasure trove of tribal knowledge for the ham radio community. So three cheers for Alan, and we hope you, you're feeling better and back on the move real soon. Pete, we are in overtime here. Any yeah. final thoughts? I, just so much fun. Uh, all I can say is uh, if we were going to summarize everything, everybody just take a good hard look at the BitX40 and uh, look at the HF SIGs. There's lots of really, really good things to come. And if you're interested in getting homebrewing, this is a really good entry, a real, real good way to start things. And I have no connection <laughs> with, with Forehand and what have you, but I mean – uh, trust me, uh, if you want to get started, get started with this, and then that's a springboard to let you do other things. So, just amazed. And try to keep it QRP, at least for a while. You know, you Pete, you got, you know, he's biting his fingers <laughs> now because I don't think you guys notice it, but there's a there's a kind of a, a a distinct whiff of amplifier, yes, smell in the in the N6QW laboratories. Yeah, with 15 watts into an SB200, it's good for 225 watts out. So says so says the the member of the QRP Amateur Radio Club International QRP Hall of Fame. There you go. I don't know, Pete. You better watch your step, man. You're gonna be in trouble. You're gonna be in trouble. Take my award. Go ahead, take take it. That's it for this month. Good luck to everybody. Seven and, threes uh, from the left coast here. Seven threes from Northern Virginia. Thanks, Pete. You bet. We'll see you. See ya. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Soldersmoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Soldersmoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites.
Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from Lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at CafePress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!